we've been uh, we've been asking that question over the last couple weeks, and we finally uh, arrived today to the place where where hopefully it's revealed once and for all. Can I pause? Can you take this up just a little bit higher? Just feels like I'm staring at it. So I know what you're saying. Can you lower it just a little bit to block his face? But you, I want to be able to see y'all really well. So uh, over the last couple of weeks, we've looked in Philippians chapter two, and it's been. I think it's been pretty obvious, even though um, even though our inclination, our nature, our our natural desire is a different way. I I think it's been pretty obvious, even though we're in a constant struggle that we battle with this, and we know because we're in church, we're we're, we're believers, we know this. I don't think it's a shock. I don't think I'm breaking any special news, but I will want to. I do want to kind of break it to you at least a little bit gently. I think we've seen that we're not number one. If you've been paying attention at all in the last couple of weeks, I think that's what we've come up with. In fact, I made a comment a couple of weeks ago in, in passing, two weeks ago in the sermon, that we might be surprised who number one is. Now, a few few weeks ago, uh, I uh, read this passage and began to formulate some ideas on where I want to go with this with this text. And and there are a couple of things that popped in my head immediately after reading uh, uh, Philippians chapter two, basically one through eleven. And the first thought was what I just mentioned, that we're not number one. Even though we, we want to be, even though we sometimes live like it, I, I figured that out pretty much right after reading it, that, hey, uh, we're not one, number one. The reality is we need to talk about that. And I need to preach on that all the time. Not because you all need to hear it, but because I need to hear it. I need to be reminded that it's not about me. Even though I act that way oftentimes, it really isn't about, about me. But the second... The second assumption that I made after reading this text that kind of just popped out was, well, well, who is number one? If it's not me, who is number one? So, <clears throat> excuse me, we've been, we've been dancing around this a little bit. So let me just toss that out, give you a chance to really impress me or impress other people here today. Who do you think number one is? Anyone want to just throw that out? You guys have an answer. We'll see if you're right. Jesus, anyone agree with that? Case, I think that's, no, it's Dan. I couldn't see because of the sun. Jesus, well, if you said Jesus, or if you're thinking, okay, God's number one, you'd be wrong. Oh, that can't be right. Well, okay, you're kind of right. But in the context of this section of Scripture, what Jesus tells us is that it's someone else that's number one. Now, I know what you're going to say. Well, doesn't Scripture say something about and and doesn't it even in the New Testament, yeah, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus asked a guy who wanted to know how he got eternal life, and, and the guy said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, your, and all your mind. And Jesus basically said, hey, that's the right answer. <clears throat> and excuse me, again, in Matthew chapter 22, the Pharisees asked Jesus that, and what the greatest commandment was. And Jesus said, the love of the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your heart, with all your mind, which would tend to make us believe that number one has to be God or has to be Jesus. And you're kind of right, but in both of those instances, if you want to look back in Luke chapter 10, Matthew 22, both texts add on a second thing there, and it says, love your neighbor as yourself. So I'm going to suggest to you today, you're not wrong if you say that loving God is the most important thing. But, but, but Scripture also adds to it that loving our neighbor as ourself is, is equal to, is the same. And I think what Paul has been trying to pound into us in the in chapter 2 is that number 1 <clears throat> is other people. So number 1 is that single mom who's struggling. 
Number one is that mom who brings her church, her kids to church without the support of dad. Number number one is that elderly person that needs to know that people still care. Number one is the teenager who's struggling with their their faith and struggling to find out who they are. Number one is that coworker who who is struggling with a failed marriage. Number one is that friend who's brokenhearted because their child has made a poor decision. Number one is that friend that's experiencing loss, whether whether it's it's a, of a of a friend or a family member or someone else. See, number one is the people around us. So, so now we have our answer. Who's number one? Let's look up. Let's look just a little bit deeper into chapter two, and kind of relook at some verses here and see what the text tells us, and kind of see what it defines for us about number one. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter two. We're going to read verses five through eleven. And I mentioned last week that we would come, actually I mentioned the last two weeks, that we would get to the place where we would see the most important verse in the whole book, maybe one of the most important verses in all of Scripture, and we're there today. Verse 5 says this, your attitude, uh, some versions will say your mind or your thoughts, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We are we are looking then at what I believe to be one of the most powerful verses, verse 5, that tells us our attitude or our mind should be just like Jesus. Now, Philippians is full of a, of a lot of great verses. Philippians one twenty one, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Philippians one twenty seven, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Philippians 3, 7 and 8, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider lost for the sake of Christ. Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4.13, all these are verses you should have underlined. Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. All these are great verses, but, but verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus is different. See, this verse defines us. It encourages us it challenges us it motivates us it puts us on purpose and i think it encapsulates what it means to be a christian so church couldn't we sum up every service every time we get together couldn't couldn't we sum it up with this verse hey have jesus attitude couldn't we sum up every sermon with this thought have jesus attitude every sunday school lesson every personal devotion every time we, we gather together. Could we sum it up or shouldn't we sum it up with, hey, we need to have the attitude of Jesus. So when we look at that question, who's number one, doesn't it make sense when, when Paul says, hey, it's others, doesn't it make sense then we, that we look to Jesus to figure out what that really means? And that's exactly what Paul does here in chapter 2. Verse 5 is kind of a unique verse. It's a unique verse. Because it's like he's been working to this pinnacle. He's been working up to this mountaintop, this this verse that really can stand by itself. If we had none, none of the other verses, this verse is okay by itself. He's been working to get to that verse. But when, when, when he gets there, 
that verse does two things. It, it looks backwards at, at the first four verses, and it looks forward at verses 6 through 11. From, from his opening remarks talking about joy, we've seen Paul working to this, this attitude of, of, or this, this, uh, this place of having the attitude of Jesus. We're at this mountaintop looking both directions, back at what we should be doing and at what Jesus did. Uh, several years ago, my, my boys were just small. We took a trip to Colorado. Uh, one, one of my most memorable trips with the kids uh, on vacation, we went to Colorado Springs. I, we had some, some wonderful pictures. I remember a picture of my oldest boy, Brian, at uh, the Air Force Academy. And he stands, all the people are marching in. Maybe you've done that. You know, he's standing there at attention like he thought he was a, a young cadet there or something. Uh, but, but, you know, my, my favorite, you know what I'm going to say, don't you, Reed? My favorite memory from that trip to Colorado Springs was going to Pikes Peak. Any of you been there, Pikes Peak? Uh, if you haven't, you ought to go. How many of you drove up Pikes Peak? Okay. Man, isn't that amazing? Some people find it amazing. Some people find it terrifying. We got about halfway up the mountain. If you recall, you get about halfway up and, it, and, and you get above the tree line. And about halfway up, the paved road ends and it turns into gravel. Now, years ago, maybe it's paved all the way up now. I don't know. But, but then, but right above the tree line, it turned to gravel road. And gravel road with no guardrails. And we got to that point, that point and re, I, are your hands getting sweaty? I bet her palms are, are getting sweaty just talking about. She freaked out. So, so we, we ascended the rest way to the top of Pike's Peak. Rita in the back seat on the floorboard, and my 10-year-old in the front seat taking pictures. And Rita in the back seat, when I would say, Brian, hey, take a picture of that, or Brian would say, Dad, what about that? Her in the back floor, she, she was still awake. She was back there screaming, Brian, shut up, leave him alone. He's got to keep his eye. Oh, oh, she couldn't handle it. Uh, but when we got up there, and I, I gave her a couple Valium, and, and no, I didn't. we got up there, and I, I pulled her out of the back seat, and she got her feet down. We, we I don't know why, we walked to the east first, and our first view was looking back east. And literally what we were seeing was where we had come from. Because as far as you could see was flat. Just a tabletop looking back over the plains of, of eastern Colorado into western Kansas. And, and then we walked from there and we turned around and looked back west. And all you could see looking west are, are snow-covered mountain peaks. Just, just beautiful. Verse 5. Verse 5 is cool because it looks both back and forward. It looks back and says, hey, this is what you need to be doing. Uh, you, you've seen your motivation. You're, we, we're defining who number one is, and, and you're supposed to put it into practice. Uh, verses 6 through 11 is forward saying, hey, who's your model? Who do you follow? Who do you look at to get an, an example of this? And it's Jesus. So let's, let's look at two things that he's called us to, just two simple thoughts here. Uh, first of all, these verses... <clears throat> calls us to refocus our attitude. When what, what Paul's been trying to get us to do in these first four verses is, is to refocus what our attitude should be. Have you ever picked up a, uh, a set of binoculars, particularly if you've got, uh, you know, I had those play ones when I was a kid, but if you, if you get a, a, a good set of binoculars, maybe one that, that, that a hunter might have or something like that, and you, you, you put them up to your eyes and, and you see something in the distance that you want to get a closer look at, maybe Maybe you're deer hunting and you saw a deer move far in the, in the tree line across the field or, or, or maybe you're looking for a bird out at, at Squaw Creek and you're trying to find that and get it focused in or maybe you're in the nosebleed section at, at a ball game and you want to focus down on the court. As soon as you put them up, you've got to, 
you've got to focus them, don't you? You've got to move that dial back and forth till you get it just perfectly so you can see what you're looking for. And that's, that's what Paul is asking us to do, to refocus our attitude. Uh, so whether we want to accept it or not, whether we want to embrace it or not, whether we want to live by it or not, Paul encourages us to refocus, refocus our attitude. And he kind of does it in two ways. He says, we, we need to refocus our attitude on how we see ourselves, how, how you see yourself. Look back if you're, uh, if you have your Bibles open in, in Philippians chapter two, go, go back to verse three. The second half of verse three says this, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. I want to key on that word humility for just a second, but in humility, that the Greek word there has the idea of getting a correct view of ourself. And it actually has the idea, uh, has the idea of, of noticing or realizing how small we are. And particularly because of our sin, but, but seeing, seeing ourselves correctly and noticing how small we are. If you have your Bibles, flip over about midway through the Bible over in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. You're going to find it, like I said, just about almost dead middle of your Bible. Um, if you get to Jeremiah, go left. Uh, if you get to Psalms, Proverbs, go go right. Isaiah chapter 40. And once you get it, hold it there for just a second, because we're going to look at a couple different verses there. Isaiah chapter 40. Let me read for you verses 25 and 26. Now, now catch the sense here of what God is saying through Isaiah. Verse 25. To whom will you compare me? So, so it's like Israel's questioning here. And so, so God's given the answer. Who will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. So Paul, Paul, or Isaiah, excuse me, throws out this idea of, 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 of who are you? To even question me. It's, it's like God takes us out by, by the shoulder and points up to the, the dark night sky at the, at the stars and says, who put them there? Was it you? What? <laughs> it wasn't you. It was me that put the stars there. And he points at the stars and do you know the name of that star? How, how about that one over there? Do you know the name of that star? Who hangs those there? And, and every night they come out exactly the same. Who put those there? So God's, basically saying there, hey, remember who you are and remember who I am. You're small. So so we could get this idea from reading that, well, golly, I guess I guess I must must not be much uh if if God says that. But but I, I Isaiah goes on to say at the end of the text in verses twenty nine through thirty one, he says this He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men, young men stumble fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Isaiah seems to be saying, hey, hey, I'm God and you're not. I'm holy and you're not. I'm big and you're not. I'm pure and you're not. But then he, then he backs that with saying, yeah, but if you hope in me, I will lift you up. Now, now wrestle with this. God, God wants us to see ourselves correctly, but He also wants us to see how He sees, how He sees us correctly. See, we, we may be small. We, we, we may be a speck 
We may not amount to much, but God knows us. We may be little in comparison to Him, but we are of so great value to Him, of such great worth that He sent His Son to die for us. So how do we balance humility? Isn't that what Paul said? Okay, in humility, consider others better. So looking correctly at yourself. So how do we balance seeing ourselves correctly with, for God so loved the world? How do we reconcile what seems to be two competing ideas? How do we see ourselves as if God is cheering for us and at the same time realizing we need to be cheering for God? In 19, uh, I believe it was 1944, 1945, Joe DiMaggio, who was the center fielder for the New York Yankees, returned from war. He had served in the uh, Army or Air Force, and, and he returned back. And his first game back at Yankee Stadium, before the game started, he wanted to, he wanted to kind of to, to give a moment to the fans. He knew that they were, were waiting for him to be there. So, so he walked out before the game started and walked out on the mound and, and just wanted to tip his hat, just wanted to kind of wave to the fans and thank them. <clears throat> and as he walked out, he carried his, his young son, Joe Jr., in his arms. And as he walked out, the, the pan, fans noticed him as he tipped the hat and they began to chant, Joe, 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 Joe. I mean, just, it just went around the stadium. Everyone was, Joe, Joe. And, and his, his young son, Joe Jr., looked at him and said, Dad, they're shouting my name. <laughs> isn't, that the, isn't that the challenge? Isn't that the conflict here? It was years later when Joe Jr. was an adult that he looked back at that moment and realized they weren't shouting his name. They were shouting the name of his father. So there's a balance there. We've got to figure out, we've got to, we've got to balance those two ideas that God loved us so much, and yet we're also supposed to see ourselves in comparison to God. And <clears throat> So how do we get there? I think verse 5 gives us the answer. It says attitude. See, it's, it's attitude. The, the word there for attitude really could be translated thoughts or thinking, and literally is our, our, our thinking, what possesses our minds should be just like Jesus. So we need to refocus our refocus on how we see ourselves. Um, we also need to to change how we see others and refocus on how we see others. Now let me refresh the context here. Paul has has been writing this letter to the church at Philippi from prison. Uh, he's in prison. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him. We talked about that back in Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-one: "For me, live as Christ dies, gain." Paul has no idea, is he going to live, is he going to die, is he going to get out of prison, is he not? So he's writing this from prison, and, and he writes to the church at Philippi, but catch this, he's saying this to himself first. The first one he's preaching to is himself. So, so he's saying here, we need to see others as more important than ourselves. In fact, Paul pointed out, I'm not going to read the verse, but if you want to look in chapter 1, verses 29 and 30, Paul ends up saying to the church at Philippi, hey, and what I'm going through, you're going to go through too. So he's pointing out, hey, you're going to suffer. You're going to be, you're going to be, uh, find yourself in, in difficult times because of your faith. And now Paul is saying, think about others. Who could fault him if he concentrated on himself here? He was in prison. Who could, who could, who could fault him if he was worrying about himself? But instead, he offers us a different teaching. He says, refocus your attitude on how you see others. And he offers a couple qualifiers here. He says, consider others, others better than yourself. And look to the interest of others. 
Okay, that sounds good, but what does it mean? What does that mean? I, I think we, we get a little bit of a hint with one of the words that Paul uses. Uh, if you look at, in verse 4, it says, each of you should look not only to your own interest. The Greek word for look there it isn't just to gaze on, isn't just to see. It really has the idea of aim. So when he says you, you should look at others, it really you should aim at others. So, so it has the context. This is how the word would have been used. When an archer pulled back his arrow and he was aiming at a target or at a prey, at some animal or in, in battle at a, a, another soldier from the other side, as he pulled the arrow back, he was looking, he was aiming. When, when David w- went across the brook and picked up five stones and dropped them in his pouch and he put one in his sling and he ban- began to swing that s- sling over his head, he, he didn't look back at his brothers and say, hey, watch this, this is going to be good. He didn't, he didn't look over to the other people that were shouting at him. I'm sure what he did was he looked right at Goliath and he looked at that massive forehead that Goliath had and he aimed at it and he let the rock fly. I spent countless hours when I was a kid playing catch with my dad in the backyard, my brother and I playing catch with my dad. And oftentimes my dad would would, would uh, sit at the end of the yard and we had kind of a makeshift. We, we were too poor to actually afford one, so he had made one out of wood, a little plate. And he had it sitting there, and my dad would get down. I don't know if I can get back up or not, guys, but he would get down with his glove, and and he would say, look at the glove, and he would, would pop his mitt a couple times with his hand, aim at the mitt, Tim, aim at the mitt. I'd love to tell you I turned out to be a great pitcher, but uh, center field gave me plenty of time to see the ball coming, so I played outfield. But, <laughs> but, but, but it was true. He said, aim at the mitt. Look, look what you're aiming at. So what Paul is saying here, Okay, what's it mean then we're to consider others better? What's he talking about when we refocus on others? Is our aim needs to be there. Sometimes we're going to take our eyes off the prize. Sometimes we're going to miss the mark. Sometimes we're not going to do a very good job of it. But our attitude, verse 5 says your attitude. So moving back, hey, what's our attitude? Our attitude is we should aim to see other people. So, so let me just throw this challenge. Let me just kind of end this, this point on, on, on this challenge, on this thought. Make it, your, make it your aim to see someone that you don't normally see. To notice people that you don't normally notice. That's how we consider others better than ourselves. Taking our eyes off ourselves and seeing other people. Didn't Jesus specialize in that? I preached on this a while back when about Jesus standing uh, outside the temple as they were putting money in the offering, the offering uh, crates, and and everyone saw the the rich people throwing lots of coins in. It was only Jesus that saw the lady that put a couple pennies in. He's the only one saw because he was looking for it. Just just a week before that, as Jesus passed through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem for that last week of his life, there was a, a blind man standing by the side of the road and and was yelling for Jesus. Everyone told him to shut up and. And don't pay attention, but but Jesus heard him. Jesus saw the lepers, and Jesus saw the tax collectors, and Jesus saw the ones that were hurting, and Jesus saw the Samaritans. He saw them because that was his aim. He was looking for them. So verse five looks back, and it and it tells us to refocus, refocus our attitude, but it also looks forward and tells us to redirect 
our attitude. Look at verses 6, uh, 6 through the end of that chapter. Well, let's just go through 6 through 8. Who, talking about Jesus, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. That word has the idea of holding on to and, and struggling against. And I, I'm not going to let go of this. Didn't, didn't consider it something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul is telling us that number one is others. Now, now he says, let me show you the perfect example. And he holds Jesus up. Okay, this is what it looks like to consider others better. See, we, we see in this, the, these verses show us this, that Jesus changed. Uh, verse 6, Jesus literally changed his place. Verse 6 says, Who being very nature God did not consider equality with God something to grasp. Now, that doesn't mean that he gave up his, his Godhead position. It doesn't mean that, that he gave up deity when he came to earth, but he gave up his place. He gave up his residence. He gave up where he was. So literally, Jesus came from heaven to earth, and, and what a sacrifice to give up heaven to be here. This afternoon, how, how many of you are going to watch the Chiefs this afternoon? Noon, I'll, I'll be done in plenty of time to get lunch and get over to the to, to home to watch the Chiefs game. Sometime during the game, I, I'll guarantee this, watch it, and if I'm wrong, tell me next week I'm wrong. Uh, but sometime during the game, they will pan the cameras will pan up to a suite, and they will show Clark Hunt in that suite. Won't they? Maybe be right after a touchdown. They'll talk about him, him drafting, trading up to draft Mahomes, and and they'll look up and they'll be Clark Hunt up there right behind the glass in his suite. And I'll guarantee you, sometime during the game, they will pan up to another suite and they're going to show old Horseface. I mean, uh, John Elway, and they'll show a picture of. Sorry, any Broncos fans? Don't tell Bryce I said that. Uh, but they'll they'll show John Elway and and he'll be sitting in his suite too. And hopefully he's. You can read his lips and he's saying things that he shouldn't say, but but they will show him. I'll guarantee you that's going to happen today. You know what I've never seen? Doesn't mean it doesn't ha- hadn't happened before, but you know what I've never seen? I've never seen Clark Hunt sitting in the nosebleeds. I, I've never seen him up at the, the top of the ring, sitting there where the seats are, are very close together and you've got to walk straight up to get to him. I, I've never seen, I won't see John Elway today sitting up in those seats anywhere. They're, they're in their suites. They're not going to give up their suite to go sit out with the common folk, are they? But Jesus didn't hold on to heaven. He, he changed his place. He changed his person. He took on, the, the verse tells us he took on the human likeness. And verse 8 says he, he was found in, in the appearance as a man. It's the Greek word schema, which means outside appearance, or the, out, outside how you look. Jesus never lost his nature. Verse 6 says he was in the form of God, uses the Greek word morphe, which means what you really are. It's what you intrinsically are. It's who you are. But Jesus changed his outward appearance. So, so this God came to earth and, and I wish I could explain so, so you could definitively understand it. I, I, I just can't do it. But somehow Jesus came and was God and human at the same time. And we know from scripture, that he was God because he did miracles. We know from Scripture that he was God because he claimed to be God. But we know he was human. We, we know he got tired. There were times that he, he, he went up to rest. There, we know that he got hungry. There were times that, that he sat down and needed a meal. There were times that he got thirsty. He sat at a well 
in, in Samaria and needed a drink of water. Jesus was, was human. We know that he bled. We know that he felt pain. Jesus was human, but, but he was also God. He, so he changed his place, but he also changed his person. He changed his, or excuse me, he changed his person, he changed his purpose. His purpose changed. Now, kind of and kind of not. Verse, verse 7 says, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature. Again, it uses that Greek word morphe, which means who you are intrinsically. He, he took on the nature of a servant. So when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus hanging out with tax collectors. And you see Jesus conversing with prostitutes. And we, you see Jesus giving value to Samaritans and noticing lepers. Jesus changed who he was and his purpose. He came to be a servant. Jesus changed. Jesus changed. If we look at the rest of the text, and I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to move on and just touch on these. Jesus also gave, uh, if you read verse 8, that he literally gave all that he could give. He went to the cross and died a cruel death. And Jesus also gained at the, the last couple verses tells us that he was exalted, that at the end, all that he did would reach a point where every one of us, whether we worship him now or not, every one of us at some point will fall to our knee and give Jesus the due that he is is due. We will call him by name. Jesus, uh, or Paul, encourages us here to refocus. Refocus our attitude how we see ourselves, how we see others, and he's calling us to redirect our focus. Who are we looking at? Who, who are we looking at? We look at Jesus. David Dalton tells this story about a young mother in his church. This young mother had a little three-year-old, and one day this three-year-old was, was following her around, and, and, and as much as she tried to, to stay out of his way, this little three-year-old, and his name was Lynn, was right at her heels the whole time. No matter, no matter where she went, she'd turn around and he would be right there and she would, would step on his foot and, and she would trip over him. Several times she, she said, I, I tried to get him to go out and play with some other man if you want to come on up. I would try to get him to play with some other people. I would suggest that he do this or do that. But every time she turned around, little Lynn was right there at, at every step. And, and so finally she asked him, well, what is going on? Lynn, why? You're, you're in my way all the time. And, and little Lynn looked at her and, and said, well, Mom, uh, in Sunday school this last week, they told me, they told me that I needed to follow in the steps of Jesus, but I can't see Jesus, so I thought I would follow in your steps. Isn't that what Paul is calling us to do? Isn't he calling us to follow in the steps of Jesus? When he says in verse 5, have the attitude of Christ, he says, look back and and, and see what you need to be doing. You need to be refocusing. And, and it says we need to be redirecting to see who Jesus is and living like him. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you this morning for your word and the challenge that it gives us. Father, we thank you that we can find in your scripture the encouragement and the strength to be what you want us to be. In this passage, it tells us quite simply to, to consider others and to serve others, and to live for others. And how do we figure that out? We just simply look at Jesus, because that's what he did. Father, help us be, help us be the, the
the believers that you call us to be. Help us truly figure out and apply who number one is. 